Appreciate you spilling my coffee, too. <laughs> Don't worry, it was empty. <clears throat> or else my anger management skills would be tested. Hey, where's Donnie when you need him? And, uh, I guess they're being tested at this point. They're doing, they're working for good. That's right. How's everybody doing? Good. There we go. All right. Everybody having a good week? Good summer? Yes, it is. It is. Hey, do this. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5, which is where we were last week in our anger management study. <clears throat> I wanted to mention something because all of us, all of us are learning. Let's think about this week about how God's, does, you know, we look at life a lot of times from our perspective and how does God look at, at us? What is God's desire for us in, in our life? <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever used the phrase, I, I really think it's a, a real phrase for Christians, that, that Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven, that uh, we should hang a sign around our necks that says, please be patient with me, I'm still under construction. You ever seen those signs? Uh, please uh, excuse the dust, I think it was what McDonald's had down there for so long, or something like that. Uh, but I, I think that that's a reality that we, look, we ought to look at our lives and we really ought to look at others' lives as well, that we're, we're not a finished product. We shouldn't use that to make excuses for ourselves, uh, but that we should be, you know, the Scripture is full of even these fruits of the Spirit we're going to look at again this morning. One of the fruits of the Spirit is being patient with one another and that God's not finished with me yet uh, or finished with you yet. But uh, I wanted us this morning, we're also going to look at a couple other passages, but I think about how God looks at us, and he, I really think, you know, He looks at us, we're His children. And just like, think about the way that you look at your kids, and all your hopes that you have for your kids, for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids, and hoping what they will become, what they will, will be like, and trying to help them in that process of knowing that it's the same way for us, and that probably God looks at us the same way as, as His kids. No wonder because... Uh, God is called our Heavenly Father, and that the Scripture has a lot of these examples of how God adopts us out of the family of Satan and adopts us into His family, and we don't have a relationship of fear, as Romans 8 says, but we have, we cry out to our Father, and that throughout this whole process um, of our life, of becoming more like Christ, I hope you will, you will look at it that way. As I look at my kids... <clears throat> And maybe you've heard stories of this, maybe of kids that grew up in a very strict environment and then later on in life they rebelled. Or maybe, maybe you even experienced that to some degree. Uh, once you got that freedom, it just turned into rebellion. And uh, a lot of times, if we're not careful in our parenting of our kids, maybe all we're doing is trying to do behavior modification. You know what I'm talking about? I want you to act this certain way but I'm not explaining to you why, you know? And that's, sometimes I find myself and Kim maybe even getting into that trap a little bit of making sure that we, they understand why. Uh, give you an example, and probably y'all understand this. Uh, what, what types of varied responses do you get when you ask your child to clean up his or her room? Or, <laughs> yeah, or the chores that they've been doing for X amount of years and they ought to know you know this is going to happen. You know this is expected of you, but still the response is, oh, you know, like that. And, but, and it's a process, isn't it? It's a process 
to, you know, with my boys, I'm trying to help them to understand, guys, the sooner you can understand that work is just a part of life. It's just a part of life. And try to somehow enjoy it, you know, and it'll make it easier. Well, you know, saying that to my 11-year-old, it's like, are you crazy, Dad? <laughs> enjoy work, you know? And it is. It's a difficult concept. But I don't want to him... I don't want him to get to a point or my other sons to where they, they do what I've told them to do, but they've zipped their lip and internally they haven't really learned some lessons in life. And I, and I remember, maybe you remember dealing with this when you're a kid. I remember being frustrated with my dad growing up and, and telling my mom one day, my dad is just so stinking hard on me. He's like a slave driver. And my mom kind of sat down and explained to me, she said, John, your dad wants you to grow up with a healthy work ethic. He just wants what's best for you. He's not trying to be tough on you. And, and that was about when I was 17. And when she said that, something clicked in me. I don't know why, but something clicked at me in that point that I realized, huh, okay, that's my dad's intentions and all this. And it, 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 it helped a whole lot. And I think that for us as we're doing this, as we're doing a study on anger management, the reason I mentioned all that is not it's not that God wants, it's not that God wants this certain behavior to be the goal. It's not our behavior that God wants to be the goal. It's a changed heart on the inside. God is looking to change us from the inside out to where it's not that all of a sudden we stop having outbursts of anger or stop yelling at people or we stop cussing or we stop throwing uh, a screwdriver across the room when something doesn't work out or whatever. But it's just that I'm changed from the inside out, and I want to please God, and as a result of that, my behavior begins to change. And so I hope that you will look at this in your own lives, kind of the way that I really think God parents us and, and the way that, that, that all of us probably want to parent our kids is, is not just to get behavior modification, but to change us from the inside out. So uh, if we're not careful, that's all that will happen is I'll just change my behavior, but have I become closer to God in the process? And that's the point of all these scriptures. And I think you realize that, but we're going to look at some verses this morning that do talk about that. And uh, so let's do this. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at some of these fruits of the Spirit. And uh, there's almost, there's not a mention of a tree in Galatians 5, but it's almost as if there's two different types of trees growing two different types of fruits. And what are the two different types of fruits that are talked about in Galatians 5. Fruits of the Spirit and fruits of the flesh. Pretty simple. And it's, and it's almost a matter of which path do I choose to walk down? Because, you know, Paul talks about walking. And, he ta and let's, let's look at this because he talks about in, in Galatians chapter 5, he says in verse, and check out verse 15. Look at verse 15 first. It says, if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Now, I think that's figurative language, isn't it? Yeah, man, what a, what a bold example of figurative language in the Scriptures. Paul's really not talking about cannibalism here, is it? I don't think so. But what is the literal meaning of this figurative language? Uh, biting and devouring one another. What's that talking about? There's a phrase that we use when you get a tongue lashing, when someone bites off your head. <laughs> We use that all the time, don't we? Man, she bit my head off. Goodness, she was really upset. And so you look at this passage that we're looking at, and a whole lot of the context is the problem 
with some of the Galatians were, they were biting and devouring one another. Man. And he's saying, you've got to be careful because some of you are being just consumed by arguments and conflict. And in verse 16, he says, but, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And he says, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. There's this conflict within us, this war within us. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Here's this one that steps on our toes. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and, and things like these of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, in verse 22, there's your contrast. There's your different types of fruit in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit and let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So there's this, you see the comparison contrast here in this passage, and it's almost like there's two different types of fruit trees, or maybe two different types of forests, two different types of orchards. This one orchard has all sorts of fruits growing in this orchard that are just nothing but negative. And you think about that. Now, th these things, if they're fruit, they're fruits, they also have to be cultivated. You know, how many times have you in your life, you've cultivated some of these negative fruits in your life? Man, we've all done that. We've all done it. And you may be thinking, what are you talking about cultivate some of these bad fruits? Well, let's take some of these. Maybe envy to where we just allowed envy to go uncontrollable in our life. And, what, and when we do that and, and we don't bring that under control, what's going to happen? It's just going to flourish. It's going to continue to grow. And, but Paul is saying if we walk in the Spirit, if we begin cultivating all of these wonderful things with our relationship with the Lord, all these fruits of the Spirit, then guess what's going to happen to all these other fruits? They're going to die off. They're going to die off. Now, is that going to happen overnight? No, it's going to take, it's going to take a season. But uh, uh, there is a promise there. Uh, tell you a little story. Uh, this week, we do, we do a trip with the church every year called Family Camp. And uh, uh, Shelly and... and uh, and Kent went with us and a couple other folks from the Bartlett campus. But this week we had uh, a situation. One of the guys went on the trip, brought his boat. Uh, and his boat was on its last leg. And uh, this guy, Joe, <laughs> she, I see Shelly back there smiling because she knows what I'm about to tell. And uh, a situation that my friend Joe was in that just was a challenge for his, for his anger management. Uh, he brought a boat, and uh, this boat is, I I'm telling you, it's like circa 1970s. You know, it's, it's really ancient. But he, Joe had kept it alive all these years. Well, I think one day, it, it just didn't very, last very long. He had to get somebody to tow him into the dock. And you could tell it just, he was doing as best he could to keep from getting frustrated with that. The next day, he had to get somebody to tow him in again. And so he had a friend of his that said, hey, I've got this boat if you ever want to buy it. So he calls him up, I think it was maybe... I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday night, I forget. Yeah, somewhere around there. And the guy said, yeah, come and pick it up and try it out and you can buy it if it, if it works out okay. So he drives from Lexington, Tennessee, back to Memphis, I think Wednesday night or Tuesday night, one of those nights, the hour, almost two hours back. He picks up the boat, 
About the time he reaches uh, exit 25, uh, the, the trailer, the tongue on the trailer hitch is messed up and it comes loose. Of course, he's still got the safety chains on there, and, uh, but it tears up his bumper. He gets that fixed. He goes another 20 or 30 miles and then the tire tears up. He has to get that fixed. He finally gets back to Lexington about 2 a.m. And the next morning I said, Joe, did you get the boat? And he's like, huh, yeah, I got the boat. It's not, the, the final chapter hasn't been written. I'm not, yet, I'm not done yet. And so he takes it out the next day. It lasts like 30 minutes. He has to tow this boat back into the dock. And so uh, this was, by this time it's Thursday night. So the boat is now at the dock. And that Thursday night, we, we, were, we were really joking around with him pretty hard about, yeah, you know, it's great. You know, how much are you going to pay for this boat, Joe? And uh, Sam, uh, we had karaoke night. And so we, were, uh, we had homemade ice cream and we were doing karaoke. We just had a big party. And we got Sam to put these pictures up on the screen of all these boats that, were, that had sunk. <laughs> And, and Joe was, he was laughing through it. He was, he, he was having a good time. Well, the next morning I get up, Friday morning, I'm drinking coffee on the back dock. I mean, the back balcony that overlooks all the boat docks. And I look over at Joe's boat and I'm thinking, that boat looks like it's sunk. And so I'll walk over there and sure enough, this boat has about six inches of boat sticking out of the water. Everything else is underwater. And, and, and so I told Kim, I said, Kim, go down there and take some pictures. <laughs> and the problem was when she came back, Joe was walking that way. <laughs> and she saw, she saw, he saw her with the camera and, and Kim said, I tried not to make eye contact with Joe because when he saw the boat, he went just like this. <laughs> but, oh my goodness, he was, he was really frustrated. But you know, hey, we, we face a lot of these things all of us have had a moment like that. You know, I asked you a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a couple of months ago, about what makes you angry. Sometimes, sometimes a lot of these things in life make us angry, not necessarily people, uh, but there are things. Uh, do this. I want you to turn over to uh, the book of Romans, since we are talking about change. Excuse me. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the perfect will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want you to underline two words in there that are contrasted. Uh, my translation says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Does anybody have a different word there? in that verse. Everybody got conformed and transformed? Okay. All right. I want to use this as an example as we go through this study of the importance of looking at anger management uh, from this standpoint. I do think that there's, there's obviously a lot of passages that talk about that we need to be in control of ourselves. We need to be in control of ourselves. And, uh, but, but in the whole process here is what? The whole process is the scripture says, as a result of me growing in Jesus Christ and getting closer to God, that God wants to transform our lives. And, and it's really interesting. It's almost like this. It's that, you know, a lot of times we use the phrase, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be like my heavenly father. It's a, I think it's a perfect picture of what, if we could summarize what, I, what I'm supposed to do in my life, what's the purpose 
of what I'm supposed to be like. It's to become like Jesus. And it's this picture of me emptying myself and Jesus filling more of himself in me. And that Jesus really didn't need me. He didn't need my skills, my abilities. He didn't need Jack. What I need to do is just empty myself of everything that's him so that he can fill me up. And so there's this whole thing of, of there's going to be times in your life when people compliment you and say, man, I think what you're doing for God is just awesome. Or you, you, you did, when you taught Sunday school class this morning to those little kids, it, it was incredible. You did a great job. Or I really appreciate what, what you did in serving up here at the church and what was accomplished. It's just you got this awesome spiritual gift. And to be able to respond like this, man, anything that you see good in me is not me, it's Jesus. That kind of response. Because a lot of times we like to say, well, you know, thanks a lot. You know, Jesus is really lucky to have me on his team, that kind of thing. And, and, and that is just a lie, is it not? It really is. God wants, and, and, and you see that in here, that God wants to transform us. And it's almost like this. If you've ever, have any of you ever looked at a painting or something and tried to copy it or try to draw something? Or have any of you tried to sketch a portrait of someone while looking at them or just do a drawing or sketch something? And you've got a model in mind and you're trying to copy that. The picture is that what God is trying to accomplish in our life is to make us more like Christ. The goal has already been lived out for us. It's Jesus. And that what God wants to do is to make me like Christ. And that's called a transformation and changing me from the inside out. But what the world wants to do is just beat on me. And, and maybe, maybe I'm halfway there. Or, you know, I'm, you know, maybe you're halfway there in, in, in your whole process of becoming like Christ. But what the world is wanting to do is take a hammer and chisel and just chisel you down to rubble. That's the picture that you see in here. Look back in Romans chapter 2. Because we know that Satan's desire is to destroy us. You know, if you've ever done a study on Satan, he, he's got one desire. It's to wreck your life. It's to destroy your life. And so when it says there, do not be conformed to this world, that's what it's talking about. And, that, and really, that's what the goal of my flesh is. The goal of my flesh is failure. The goal for God in my life is success. Now, when I say success, I don't mean money or flashy things or anything like that. Just getting closer to the Lord. But that being conformed is where the enemy and my flesh are just wrecking my life. Like a hammer and chisel, just taking it down to rubble. But what God wants to do, God, God looks at us as if we're a beautiful painting. And God is not done with us yet. It's a process or a beautiful sculpture that he is sculpting in our life. And I think when we look at it from that standpoint, from the inside out to say, Jesus, I'm okay with that. I've got a lot of change that needs to take place in my life. And I need your spirit in me to help me to do this. And then there's certain principles of obedience that God wants us to do, certain things that we're learning in anger management for us to practice. So I just wanted to mention that uh, just as we go through this. Let's do this. Turn over to the book of James now. If, if you're in your outline, we are still on, let's see, we're on page seven, practicing self-control, a biblical principle that is uh, throughout the Old and the New Testament that, uh, yeah, God's Holy Spirit is there with us. But we're also supposed to maintain control uh, of ourselves and uh, to ask God to help us to do that. And that, that we looked in, in one of these gifts of the Spirit is this thing of self-control. And throw out this question to you. When do you find it hardest to exercise self-control? 
Yes. When you feel like you're not being listened to or heard. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Dave. All right. All right. Angry customers, contractors. <laughs> okay, let's look at the book of James. There is a really colorful passage in here that really does uh, a lot of heavy-duty explanation and really, uh, be honest with you, every time I cannot read this chapter without getting really convicted about myself, uh, which is healthy, you know, because it, it reminds me that, God, I've got a long ways to go. And uh, there are certain areas of my life that, uh, that need to be worked on. And uh, James is the type of book, when you read it, James, James' writing style is very blunt. You know, you look at the writing styles of the New Testament writers, and they all each, each have their different styles. James is extremely blunt. He's only got four chapters, okay? He covered what a lot of us would have covered in 12, but he just doesn't beat around the bush, okay? And so I want you to look at James chapter 3, and we'll spend probably a couple of weeks in this passage. Uh, look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And then he goes on to say, For we all stumble in many ways, if anyone does not stumble in what he says. All right, you might want to underline that. He's uh, really getting specific. He said, look, we're going to talk about how we talk. You know, you look at how we stumble with what we say. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Anybody have a different translation there besides bridle? What'd you say? Keep his whole body in check. Melinda, does yours have a different one? All right, able to keep his whole body in check. Okay. Anybody else? Different word there. In, in this case, I think the New American Standard probably has a better translation by saying bridle. And so... How many of you ever gone horseback riding? You know exactly what is the purpose of a bridle. And how, do, and how does that actually work? What goes into the horse's mouth? There's a bit that goes into that horse's mouth that he kind of sits there and kind of gnaws on and gums. And that, in just a little tug, will direct that horse's mouth. All right, let's keep moving. Because this picture, this is a figurative passage but it's really going to explain some things. You know, we talked a lot of times that the Bible uses figurative language to give us a visual image of what God is talking about. And uh, so let's read a little bit further here. Verse 3, Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Now let's just stop for that a minute. So this is talking about direction and movement. And I remember... When I was growing up, we, we always had friends who had horses and um, had a buddy of mine who had about 20, 20 acres out on Highway 64 uh, in Lakeland, and he had three or four horses. And so we could go out there, and the cool thing about where he lived was, was that 20 acres was connected to the TVA easement, uh, which is like 200, 100 foot wide or whatever. So we could get out on his property, then we could hit, you know, where you see those big TVA lines that they keep cut, and man, we could just get up to a gallop, and you could just go forever out there. And the and if you've ever ridden a horse, the fun thing is when you can get up to a gallop because that ride just kind of smooths out when you do that. And but one thing I had to learn was the horse really does want you to tell it what to do. It doesn't want you to to be unsure about what you want to want it to do. I got on a horse one day. Uh, my sister-in-law also had horses, and uh, 
got on a horse that really was, I don't want to, it wasn't wild, but it, it really didn't want me on it. And so I was a little bit weak and did not give it good direction. And just like that, that horse had me on the ground. It bucked me off and I hit the ground. And if it wasn't muddy that day, I probably would have broken something. Uh, but what I quickly discovered was I've got to tell this horse I'm in charge. He's not. And I've got to be very strong in telling this horse where to go. And, and, and if you've ever ridden a horse and you understand it's a training process of, of getting adjusted to that horse, but you telling that horse that you're, you're the boss. Now, as we look at this, this, is, this passage, this is exactly what this is talking about, that there is something called our tongue that, that the writer of James talks about, that if, if we don't bring it under control, it will just wreak havoc. All right, so let's read a little bit further. Read this passage over again. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. You know, this week when we were at, uh, we were at Natchez Trace State Park this week, and uh, Nathan, my little four-year-old, took his first horseback ride. So it was really more the, the pony ride. Uh, but uh, they had about six or seven horses there. Every single one of them had their, their bridle uh, in their mouth. But, of course, for this, this little pony ride, the lady led the horses around. And, but she, every, every single one of them was bridled up. And, uh, you know, and you can tell it looks really uncomfortable for the horse. But the horses adjust to it. And uh, if, you know, most horses actually like to be, I don't say all of them, but they look like they enjoy it somewhat. And, and, uh, but this whole picture here in this passage is meant to, what do you think it's trying to communicate to us? A figurative image, but there is a literal meaning of it. What do you see in this passage that is trying to communicate to us about our speech? Yeah, keep your tongue under control. Something as small as that bit is able to direct that entire horse's direction. So there's not only a control of the tongue, but there's also a direction in life. There's also moving that horse in a certain direction that the way that I talk can change all of my relationships for better or for worse. Now let's do this. Let's read a little bit further as we go. Now that's, that's one image that, that, God, that, that James, God through the book of James, is wanting us to have in our mind is this picture of a horse and those bits and steering that horse. All right, there's another image that, that's going to be given to us, and that, it's that of a rudder, okay? So look at, let's look at verse 4. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. Anybody have that word, rudder? You got something different. Okay, so underline that word, a, a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. Now we'll get into that probably a little bit next week, the whole thing of the third picture that we're given. We're given that it's, it's like a horse steering a horse, a bridle. We're given that uh, the, the picture is like a rudder, also gives direction. And the last one is, I guess you could say, kind of a negative form of speech. It's fire. Of course, we know fire destroys. We'll get into that a little bit next week. But I want you to think about for a moment just a rudder. <clears throat> and if you've ever seen pictures of ships, I remember when everybody's seen the movie Titanic. You know, I think probably all of us have probably seen that. And I remember when that movie came out, it was a big deal because I think at the same time, 
if I'm not mistaken, they had discovered the Titanic. Am I right on that? You know, going down underwater to do those, uh, the exploration, all that. Pretty close in the timing. And I remember seeing pictures, not underwater pictures of the Titanic, but, but seeing the drawings of the boat when it was originally built, this enormous boat. But when you look at the size of the rudder, and really if you look at just boats in general, if you look at the size of their rudder compared to the rest of the boat, it's pretty small, isn't it? A very small piece of that boat. But when you think about just a slight change in the angle of that rudder can bring about a huge change in the course of that ship. And you think about it, even when you're driving down the road uh, in your car, you know, and just a slight change in the steering wheel. When I'm driving the school, the big yellow school bus, it's more like this right here when I'm driving big yellow. But, but just a slight change in your steering wheel can produce a huge change. Uh, you know, I, used to, I had a car uh, one time that had so much play in the steering wheel, you could do like this and, and the tires wouldn't even move. But a good steering wheel, just a little slight change and all of a sudden you're going off the road. So what do you think, all right, let me pose this question to you there. What do you think is the meaning that we're supposed to get from this? The tongue is like a rudder. Deep questions, deep thoughts by Jack Handy. Remember that? It still needs to be, huh? still needs control a little bit. It, it still needs to be in control, right? Somebody has to be in control of it. Yeah. Okay. What else? Anything else that you see there? You know, Teresa said it still needs to be controlled. Somebody has to be in charge of it and giving it direction. And not only that, but I, I really like this passage, this verse, because what it tells me, if I can just make some small changes in my life, they will produce some big impacts on our relationships. You know, all this stuff that we're studying, don't try to swallow it all at once and think that overnight everything's going to change. Work on it a little bit of time. Pray and say, God, what is it that you want me to work on this week? What, what are the areas, Lord, this week that you want me to give special attention to in this area? Lord, I want to listen to your word and I, and I want to obey, but Lord, I you know, God knows you're going to make mistakes. God forgives you. It's a process of this. But try doing some small changes. One of the things that we talked about about four or five weeks ago was memorizing Scripture. Take a simple verse of Scripture that we've, that we've looked, out, looked at and just commit it to memory. Or one thing that I suggested was write it down on a piece of paper. Just put it in your pocket. Even if you don't pull it out and read it every 10 minutes, I promise you, Every time you put your, your hand in your pocket and you touch that piece of paper, it will remind you of that verse. Just something as simple as that of, of memorizing Scripture. But that slight changes, that's what God's Word is saying here. Slight changes will make a big impact in the direction of your life. And who is, is, is these, as God begins to change these things in your life, who are going to be the biggest recipients of this? Yeah, your, your spouse, your kids, and, uh, and the people that you work with. Let's, let's read a little bit further. And we'll quit and we'll, we'll cover this last portion next week. Look at verse 6. We're back up to the last part of verse 5. It says, Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Kind of reminds you of Smokey the Bear. What happened to all those Smokey the Bear uh, commercials that used to be on TV? Do you all remember that? What was it that he said? He, he made some kind of statement. You too can prevent forest fires. That's right. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. Gah, that's bad, doesn't it? I don't know what iniquity is, but it sounds pretty awful. <laughs> bad stuff, okay? In the Greek, it says bad stuff. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body 
and sets on fire the course of our life is set on fire by hell. Man, just this evilness. It, it, it almost as if we go back to this thing of, you remember when we were looking in, in uh, Galatians, there's this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, the, the, Bible was, the Bible says this. If you are a Christian, the Bible says that, that God has done away with the flesh. Do you know that? That's what it says. And not only that, it says in, in earlier in Romans, it says it's done away with the flesh. It's made it powerless. And not only that, but it says that God has removed the penalty of our sins. So it's talking about if you're a Christian, when you die, you go to heaven. There's no penalty for your sins in eternity. God, has, God paid for that on that cross, all of it. And that He's rendered our flesh powerless, and He's given us the Holy Spirit and given us a new nature. But there's still this thing called the flesh, and it's almost like this. It's, it's almost, there's my old self there that's dead. I'm a, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation is what the Scripture says of a Christian. But there's my, my dead self. And every now and then I go over here and I just put on my old self again. It's like almost putting on an old set of rags that I threw away. And I say, why would I do that? Because God has called me to new life, but, but we're weak. We struggle with that. And, and so the picture here in all this is that, is that, that I, I shouldn't go back to that anymore. And, and really, later on, James get, gets pretty gross about it. If you, and, and I'm just going to get gross like he does because it's Scripture. It's, he says it's like a dog that returns to its vomit. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I appreciate that image you just gave me. It's from the Bible. I didn't come up with it, okay? And, and, and so, because we're weak sometimes, we go back to our old self. And we, it's this struggle that we have. And we have to ask God, Lord, help me not to go back and walk in this way, to walk in that way. Look back at verse 6 one more time. The tongue is a fire of the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and is set on fire by the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. And so you look in there, it refers to the course of our life. And so we have to ask this question. As a Christian, sometimes I get led astray and I go down the ways of the flesh and I'm going in the wrong direction. I've got to be careful the path that I walk down. And, and i got to be careful about the course of my life. And God is right there. The Bible says He never leaves us, will, will, uh, will, will not leave us alone. His presence is always with us and wants to help us to grow close, closer to the Lord. But we've got all these temptations with our anger that we deal with. And, and, and really the book of James here, dealing with our tongue, is very much uh, kind of a warning. You know, earlier in Galatians, we looked at that passage where it says, unless you will end up biting and devouring one another. There's a warning, isn't it? Be careful that we should be careful about that and uh, we should be careful about the way that we treat one another, the way that we, we talk to one another. So, hey, anybody got any questions before we quit? Okay, well, hey, let's pray and uh, we will worship together. Dear God, thank you for your, your words, Lord, and that uh, it's a reminder to us, God, of two things. God, you love us, you care about us, you want what's best for us. Your desire is to, to change us, Lord. And, and Lord, we, we thank you so much for that, God. We thank you that, that you love us so much to, to tell us what we're really like and, and what we can become like. Lord, help us with all of these, uh, these struggles that we face. Uh, even when we're around the world and the people of the world, there's a, there's a pull to act like them. And uh, so God, just uh, help us with that. Help us to, 
to be in the world but not be of the world, as your scripture says that, that we should be. And uh, Lord, we love you and praise you. Thank you for our time today in your word. And uh, we just ask that it would just change us from the inside out. And we just ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.